We want to enter into a season of prayer when we lift our eyes to Jesus, asking Him to do what only He can do. And certainly heavy on all our hearts are the images that we've seen coming in from southwest Florida and even in parts of Cuba, Puerto Rico with Hurricane Fiona that rolled through earlier. We know this is a season of real tragedy and loss for a lot of people in our nation, in our world. And so we want to we want to turn our eyes to Jesus and ask Jesus to do what only he can do. And just want to give you a couple of updates. Uh, you know, as, as part of our church family, that this is a time in our service that we reserve every week to pray for gospel partners. So we pray for the other churches in this community every single week by name. And we pray for their pastors because we don't see the church down the street as our competition. There are brothers and sisters in Jesus and we want, to, we want to see them well, and we want to see them blessed. And that partnership extends beyond this community. We're blessed to be partners with other churches, churches throughout the state, throughout the world, and other ministry partnerships. One of those partnerships that we have is through the North American Mission Board. And one of the elements of the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention is something called Send Relief. Send Relief. Send Relief is an organization that we already contribute to as a church. So part of your regular giving goes to the Send North America, the North American Mission Board, church planting and, and ministry care arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we're already supporting them. And through Send Relief, we're able to not only give toward those who are helping to care for those individuals who've been most affected by these hurricanes, but we're also able to give those gifts in a way that partners with local churches in each of those communities. So those gifts are going certainly to help those who've been displaced or those who are been experiencing destruction in Puerto Rico, in Cuba, and in Florida, but also it's empowering local churches to do that work of ministry. Also, in addition to that church, this is the place where we are going to be able to find volunteer opportunities that are going to be able to emerge. Because I know some of you would like to give, some of you would love to go and volunteer in part of the cleanup effort. Well, we're going to be working with our partner here, Send Relief. And even if you want to this morning, I'll even give you a hall pass and let you do it while I preach if you can multitask. You can go online to sendrelief.org. You can give directly to them as part of care for those who've been most affected. And that will be distributed not only in Florida, but also in Puerto Rico as well as Cuba. Just yesterday, I got word that through Send Relief, we were already able to see almost 10 emergency kitchens set up that are already capable of handling about 170,000 meals a day. So that's the kind of effort that this represents. We praise God for that. And that will only continue to grow and provide opportunity for us to go and to give with our gospel partners. So let's make our prayer together. And we want to begin by just approaching God with grateful hearts. So would you thank God that because of Jesus, we're able to pray. We're able to talk to the God of heaven. Give thanks to God for the ability to pray. And give him thanks. Each one of you I know has reason to thank him for how you've seen his grace in your life. maybe some specific things from this past week. Would you thank God for his grace to you? And would you pray for those who have been most deeply impacted by this week's storms? Pray for the body of Jesus Christ to be raised up, to be God's hands and feet of love and care and mercy to those in need. Maybe you have friends or loved ones who are in one of those communities hardest hit. Would you pray for them specifically? 
Would you ask for the gospel of Jesus Christ to advance in the darkest, hardest places where people are hurting deeply? Would you pray for faithful servants to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that men, women, and children would be saved Saved from an eternity without God in a place called hell. Would you pray for the gospel to advance? Would you pray for those in this room or those who are part of this community who've been affected? Maybe we're not among the hardest hit, but certainly there are those who've been deeply affected in this community. Would you pray for them? And would you ask Jesus to lead you, to guide you into how he's calling you to be his hands and feet? this community and to the nations. Father, we, we want to just praise you for your grace that's poured out richly on all of our lives in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you have given us a hope that no storm, that no disaster could ever take away, that while this world could do its worst, the worst this world could do would be to take our lives. And because of Jesus, that would be the moment we would enter into eternal paradise with you. So Father, I thank you for that amazing grace in Christ. And Lord, we know that there are many hurting people in this community and throughout the state. And Father, those who have truly lost everything short of their lives and many of them who've lost the lives of those they've loved and we pray for your grace to be present in a way that only you can be we ask that your Holy Spirit would minister to the hearts and minds of hurting people and that your people as your body here on earth would be your hands and feet to love and serve and share the gospel of Jesus and help us to be those people So, Lord, guide us to our neighbors. Send us through this community. Give us doors of opportunity across the state and maybe across the sea, Lord. And I pray that we would go as you send. Help us to be generous, to give. To give for those who need, Lord. I pray you'd stir our hearts for that. And, Lord, as we come to your word, we confess that we need more than the voice of a mere man. We need the word of God. And Lord, on a week that has been hectic for us all, a week where many of us feel the weakness of our flesh, where we are tired and fatigued in many ways, Lord, we're asking for the very power of the Holy Spirit to teach us your word, to make us like Jesus, to fill our hearts with joy and faith in Christ. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said... Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to to turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Have you ever had a week that didn't quite go according to plan? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I think some of you might be saying that about this past week. Well, this morning's no exception to that. You'll notice on your worship guide that I had planned on being in Daniel chapter 5 this morning, just going through our verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel. But as the week began to unfold, uh, I believed that the Lord was stirring my heart in a different direction for this morning. And the passage of Scripture that God was calling to my heart and mind uh, just kept coming back over and over again. And I've got to tell you, I venture to say that I would believe many of you probably at one point or another this week thought about that same passage of scripture. I'm talking about the moment when Jesus calms the storm. Anybody think about that passage this week at all? A few of you did, right? Well, as I was thinking about that, and certainly for obvious reasons, it was on my heart. I just kept thinking that Jesus can calm the storm. Jesus can calm the storm, but I was struck 
by something that was just sticking in my heart and mind, I couldn't help but contemplate the fact that Jesus can calm the storm, but he didn't calm this one. It just kept on going across Cuba to Fort Myers, across central Florida, right over Merritt Island out to sea before it wrapped back up and hit the Carolinas and just churned and churned and kept on going. I couldn't help but think he can calm the storm, but sometimes he doesn't. And I'll tell you, that caused me to start praying. So as I was, as I was sitting in the middle of a storm that Jesus wasn't calming, I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and felt the Holy Spirit stirring me to redirect this morning's study around that specific passage of Scripture. My question was, Lord, is there something for us to learn in this passage for the moments we're in a storm that Jesus doesn't calm? Because is this passage only about the fact that Jesus can calm the storm? If so, then what do we say to our brothers and sisters in Fort Myers when Jesus didn't calm the storm? And what do we say to our friends and neighbors to our own hearts as we sit in a different kind of storm, many of us in this room are, that is still raging all around us? Some of you had physical, relational, emotional issues going on before this week ever began. And by the end of this week, those storms are still raging in your life. So is this passage giving us insight to anything beyond the fact that Jesus can calm the storm? That was the question in my heart. That's what I desire and prayerfully will answer according to the word of God for us today. So look at Mark chapter 4 and let's just deep dive into this passage that many of us are already familiar with. Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Verse 35 says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And and I'll tell you, just as he was, was dog tired. He was exhausted because what you find is he finds the first cushion Not even a bed, just the first cushion and falls asleep. And I know some of you are struggling with that right now, but let's see how this plays out here. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for us this morning, church. Well, as we, as we read the Bible, most of us are reading from versions that have little headings there above each passage of Scripture. And those little headings aren't actually Scripture. They're part of the translator's role, and they summarize to the best of their ability what each passage is all about. And they're usually pretty accurate. So most English translations have a little title above this section that says something like this, Jesus calms a storm, or Jesus calms the storm or the winds and waves obey Jesus. I'm sure most of your versions of the scriptures have those in there. And and that's a really good description for this passage because Jesus does indeed calm a storm. It's very clear here, right? That the power of Jesus is on display. You see in verse 39, Jesus speaks a couple of words to the storm, right? Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves stop. The hurricane obeys the voice of Jesus, right? That's what the disciples actually take away from this encounter because the last verse, verse 41 says, they start talking to each other and they say, who is this Jesus? what, What kind of person is this Jesus that the wind and the seas actually obey him? Like a dog that doesn't need a leash, Jesus says a word and the storm just obeys Jesus. And the answer to that question, who is this Jesus that the wind and seas obey him? The answer of that question is this. Jesus is God, right? He's the creator of the wind and the sea. 
He is the one who has authority and power over every drop of water and over every gust of wind on this planet. And so it's right that our little titles above this passage say Jesus calms a storm because this really is about the power of Jesus over the events of this world. And guys, I don't want to skip over that too quickly. I want us to meditate for just a moment on what is clear right here in this passage. Jesus is stronger than any storm. You hear me? Jesus is stronger than any storm. Emily and I have lived in Merritt Island now for almost 20 years. And we had, I think it was, four hurricanes that rolled through our state the very first year that we were here. Some of you remember that year. It was a great welcome to Florida for some kids who'd been born and raised in Ohio, right? And as many hurricanes as we've walked through, it never gets old to stand in amazement at the power of these storms, right? Like when you're looking at them firsthand, it's never like, oh, I've seen that before. It's a renewed sense of amazement of just how strong, just how powerful hurricanes are. Wednesday and Thursday as Hurricane Ian was making landfall. Um, Like you, I was watching some weather channel wondering how it is that Jim Cantore is still alive and why we still put up with his antics, but at the same time, I was watching as the video began to emerge, and I was in awe, again, of the, the power of that wind coming in at Fort Myers Beach, right? Just the storm surge and the water raging, buildings collapsing. You, you see those harbors filled with boats just stacked one on another. And then even more, I watched in person as that storm came straight over Merritt Island, and I saw the wind just whipping across the island here, trees being destroyed, bowing down at the force of that wind. And I've got to tell you, as I watched all of that inside of my hurricane windows at the house, I couldn't help but feel so powerless. And I know some of you want to spiritualize this, but Titus, you could pray. I did pray. Let's not go there just yet. But I felt so powerless in and of myself. Just stand there. I was like, I can't do anything but watch and wait. Like, I can't. I'm just watch and wait. I don't know what it's going to do next, but I'm watching it happen right there in front of my eyes. I'm looking at these trees in our backyard. I'm looking at this fence on our neighbor's side. I'm looking at all the things that are taking place, and there's nothing I can do. I felt so powerless. Anybody feel that way as you looked at that wind and knew you can't step out and say, peace, be still to it? You can, but you're going to get blown away by like Jim Cantore, (laughs) right? Can I say this? You need to hear this. Jesus never feels like that. He he never feels like he's reduced to simply watching and waiting. Like, what do you want me to do about it? He's stronger than any storm. Guys, he is stronger than any storm that you are walking through. They obey his voice. They do what he says. If he tells them to knock it off, guess what? They knock it off. Because Jesus is stronger and mightier and has authority over every single storm. No matter what storm you're living in right now, no matter which one is brewing on your horizon, you need to hear the word from God. Jesus is stronger than that storm. And I know some of you are living through a storm today. You feel the destructive powers at work in your home or your marriage or your body or your heart and your mind. At some level, you feel completely powerless. You don't feel as though you can do anything but watch and wait and see what happens. I don't know what your storm might be. I do know this. Jesus is stronger. And I want to encourage you to stop for just a moment before we move on. And I just want you to think about the storms of your life. Some of you are walking through them. Some of you know exactly what that means for you today. What is the thing in your life that is threatening to destroy your marriage, your family, your children, your health, your happiness? What is the storm in your life As that is on your mind, I just really, I want to ask you, would you just quietly, between you and the Lord, remind yourself of this real truth. 
Jesus is stronger than that. He is stronger than whatever it is that you're walking through. Guys, that is such a powerful truth. I do not want to just jump by it. But the question I have, is that the point of this text? Is this passage merely, simply, only about the power of Jesus to calm the storm? Or is there something more going on here? Is there something more going on here that's intended to help people like us when we're living through a storm that Jesus has yet to calm? Let's keep digging because there is. I want to show you. I want you to notice something. Look at verse 35. Read the Bible with intentionality and see how specific the word of God is. Verse 35 says this. On that day when evening had come, he, who's he? Jesus. He said to them, who's them? The disciples. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. Stop right there. I'm going to ask you a really simple question. How did the disciples come to be in a storm in the first place? Jesus led them into it. Do you see that there? Is Jesus stronger than storms? Y'all said amen when I said that four minutes ago, so you better say it now. You know what that means? It means that in his power, he could have prevented a storm from coming, right? Or in his wisdom, he could have had them walk around the sea instead of taking the boat. He could have avoided the storm. He could have prevented the storm, but he didn't. Jesus specifically tells them, let's be in this boat Take it out into a sea where a massive storm is waiting for them. Jesus leads them straight into a storm that nearly sinks their boat. So listen, this text then isn't just about the fact that Jesus is stronger than storms. This text is also showing us that sometimes Jesus chooses to allow the storms. Guys, that's one of the truths that stuck out to me this week. I had to wonder... Why would Jesus do something like that? I mean, why would Jesus intentionally expose his people to a storm that nearly cost them their lives? Why would the people, friends of ours who are there in Fort Myers, pastors that I've known for decades now, friends who know this story the power of Jesus to calm storms. Why would Jesus intentionally expose his people to storms that nearly cost them their lives? Well, let's look at what the passage says. Notice how that verse we just read begins. Verse 35 says this, on that day, Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making sure that we understand that the events of this story occurred on the very same day as the rest of chapter 4. Now, why is that detail included in the Word of God? Why does that matter? Well, here's why it matters. It matters because on that very same day as this storm occurs, Jesus has just been teaching his disciples all day long about what true faith Looks like. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but I do want to give you a little summary. Verses 1 through 20, Jesus tells them the parable of the sower and the seed. And the point that he makes in that parable is that the word of God, the promises of Scripture, it's like seed, and our hearts are like soil. And faith hears what Jesus says and believes him. Like good soil planted, or good seed planted in good soil, faith hears and receives what Jesus says and believes him no matter what. So the winds might come, or the thorns might grow, or the birds of the air might swoop down, Jesus says, but true faith keeps hanging on to the promises of Jesus No matter what. Verses 21 through 25, Jesus tells them the parable of the lamp. He says, lamps are intended to expose things that are hidden. Makes sense, right? You knew that about a lamp, right? If not, I don't have time to teach you any more elementary stuff. So, lamps are intended to expose things that are hidden. And then he says this, and nothing will be hidden from God. He's going to expose What's in all our hearts? That's the point of that parable. Faith 
will be in our heart or not, and God will expose whether or not we really believe the truth about Jesus in his kingdom. Then he teaches them this parable in verses 26 through 29, the parable of the seed. And the point of that parable is that when we believe the truth about Jesus, faith is grown in our hearts and shown through the fruit in our lives. We don't just say we believe. When we actually believe, it's expressed in how we live and what we do. Then in verses 30 through 32, Jesus reinforces that same truth with the parable of the mustard seed. And the point of that parable is that faith is like a mustard seed. It might start out small, but it grows in a way that blesses us and blesses everyone around us. So Jesus has just poured himself out to the point of exhaustion all day long, preaching the word to a group of people who are gathered around them. It makes me feel good for taking my Sunday afternoon nap to know that exhausted Jesus too. But on that very same day in our text, it says that very same day he taught all those specific truths to his disciples, he intentionally ends the day by exposing them to a storm that had the power to destroy them, okay? Are you with me so far? If not, we're not gonna go back. Listen to the recording. Verse 40 says this. And he said to them, right after he calmed the storm, why are you so afraid? Now notice this phrase. Have you still no faith? Okay, put all of that together, guys. They've been listening to sermons from Jesus all day long. He's been teaching them over and over, story after story, all about faith. And I can just imagine the disciples kind of nodding their head, yeah, Jesus, a few of them giving their signature amens in the middle of his sermon, encouraging their teacher, thinking about people that they knew who really needed to hear what Jesus had to say. Man, I wish Benjamin was here. He really needs this sermon from Jesus, right? You ever done that one? So did they. And then they were looking at all the crowds, and I'm sure they're wondering, are these people really here because they believe Jesus or they just want a miracle? I mean, like, look at these guys. Where are they going to be tomorrow? They'll be scattered. They're not real followers of Jesus like us. I wonder if they really get what Jesus has to say. And so that's all going through their mind in some way, shape, or form as they're listening to Jesus talk about faith. But then at the end of the day, the final lesson of them all Jesus sails them out into the sea. A massive storm meets them there. And the truths of the day were blown away by hurricane force winds. Do you see what he's doing? He's exposing their unbelief. You see that there? He says, have you still? No, you don't have. You still don't have faith. That means the storm did not Make them lose faith. The storm revealed they didn't really have it to begin with. You see, it's really easy to say we believe the truth about Jesus when the skies are clear and the water smooth, isn't it? It's another thing to believe the truth about Jesus when our boat is about to sink and there's nothing left for us to do. And that's precisely why the storms of this life, guys, are so incredibly important Because they provide a window, a gracious window from Jesus into all of our hearts that we can see whether or not we truly believe. So think about the storms in your life. The one I asked you to think about just a moment ago. What are they revealing about what you truly believe? Do you really believe that Jesus is stronger? I pray you do. I pray that in the middle of your storm, you believe that Jesus is stronger. But I got to tell you something. I really don't actually believe that's what most of us struggle to believe. I don't believe that most of us believe that Jesus isn't strong enough to stop our storms. I actually think most of us in this room are just like the disciples in this boat. And here's why I say that. The disciples, I hope you notice, clearly believe that Jesus is able to stop the storm. Did you know that? That's actually why they're so frustrated with Jesus. They know he can calm the storm. They've watched him work miracles. They've heard the stories all around Galilee and Israel about how this man is able to do what no one else can do. They know Jesus can calm the storm. And you know what? They're upset with him because he's chosen not to. Now, we get the luxury of seeing the whole thing play out in seven verses. They don't know he has a miracle right around the corner. 
They don't know this storm's going away in a miraculous work of Jesus. They just know he has the power to do it, and he hasn't done it yet. And that is the place. In the middle of a storm, Jesus has chosen not to calm yet, where unbelief begins to creep in. They believe just enough about Jesus to actually be upset with him. They're angry. They're frustrated. And I want to show you two specific things that are exposed about that kind of unbelief that I hope, I trust, that are going to be helpful for us as well. First, unbelief causes us to doubt that Jesus will keep his word no matter what. Look at verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them... Now, be careful how we hear and listen to Jesus. Remember, that's actually the first parable. The parable of the sower and the seed, the point is faith hears and receives what Jesus actually says. So in other places when he tells this parable, he actually says, so be careful how you hear. And here Jesus says... Let us go across to the other side. Guys, I, I love Jesus so much, okay? That, that might be, I hope, obvious. It's true. I love him so much because he's so intentional. He's so precise with every word he says. He knows exactly what his plan is. He knows he's going to take them through a storm. So before he heads out, he's really precise with what he says. He says, hey, guys, let's go across to the other side. Do you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, hey, guys, let's get out of here. He didn't say, hey, let's set sail. He didn't say, hey, let's get going and see what happens. What did he say? He said, hey, guys, we're going to the other side. But when the storm actually hit, they forget what Jesus actually said. As they're bailing water and they're rowing hard, they all believe Jesus could stop the storm. But none of them have the kind of faith to believe That what Jesus actually said before they left was going to happen as they were in the middle of the storm. They believe he can stop this thing, but none of them actually stop and say, Hey guys, I think we all need to calm down just a bit. You remember what Jesus said? He, He said we're going to the other side. And here's what I know about Jesus. He knows what he's talking about, and he always does what he says. So if Jesus says we're going to the other side, bro, we're going to the other side. Let's sit back, pop some popcorn, and see how he gets us out of this mess this time. If he said we're going to the other side, I don't know how we're getting there. And this ship might sink because he didn't say we were going to get there in this boat. Who knows? Maybe he can walk on water and make us walk too. That'd be crazy, but I do know this. If he said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. You know why? Because Jesus always keeps his word. But none of them said that, did they? No. You know what they said? We're all going to die. That's exactly what they said. We're perishing. We're not getting to the other side. We're ending up on the bottom of this sea. Do you know what happens? The storm exposes their unbelief and the storm does the same for us. You see, all of us are something like these disciples. We have the tendency to claim promises that Jesus never made and then we freak out when those promises don't come true. You see, Jesus never promised that it was going to be smooth sailing. Right? He didn't promise that. They thought he did, so they freak out when it wasn't. Jesus never promised that we would never experience pain. And as they're breaking their backs, bailing water and rowing, they think he promised it would be smooth sailing, so they freak out when it isn't. Jesus never promised that we would live forever in the house where we live, or work forever in the job where we are, or live forever in the community we're at. Jesus never promised that these bodies would always be healthy, or that our relationships would always be at peace. But we're like these disciples who have just enough faith to believe Jesus can do anything and then put words into his mouth, making promises he never gave, and then freaking out when they don't come true. So, so let's not be like them. 
Let me just ask you this. Faith doesn't put words in Jesus' mouth. Faith believes what Jesus actually said. So what promises from Jesus are you struggling to believe in the midst of your storm? I want to encourage you to do something. No matter what storm you're walking through, and I think it's important for us to be prepared ahead of the storms. Would you begin filling your heart with the promises of Jesus? Specific promises. Promises that you go back and revisit in the scripture. Not ripping them out of context. Not putting things in Christ's mouth. What are the the promises Jesus has made for you? And would you remind yourself of those promises? Fill your heart with the promise of Christ. And I want to encourage you to do this. Add a no matter what on the end for good measure. Let me give you a few you can hang on to today. He has promised in Philippians 4.19 that he will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. No matter what. Do you believe him? In Isaiah 41.10, he promises that he will help you and strengthen you. He will be with you and he will uphold you with his righteous right hand no matter what. Do you believe him? In Romans 8.28, he promises that all things, including your storm, will work together for his glory and your good no matter what. Do you believe him? Guys, unbelief causes us to doubt. That Jesus will keep his promises no matter what. And so you know what Jesus does? He leads us into storms to expose our unbelief so that he can ultimately strengthen our faith. The second thing we see about unbelief is this. Unbelief doubts that Jesus loves us no matter what. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Now, you guys might not believe somebody could sleep at a place like that, but I guarantee you my dad could. He can sleep anywhere on earth. I've been all around the world. I only want to bring up the stories. He could sleep at a drop of a hat anywhere in the world. So I know there are people who are like this, and Jesus is so dog-tired from the day that he's had of ministry that he finds the nearest cushion no matter where it is, and he falls asleep, and they wake him up and say to him, and notice how they wake him up, guys. Notice the phrase that they use. It's really telling about their hearts. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Just think about this, guys. Many of these disciples were weathered fishermen. They'd spent their entire lives out on the sea in boats just like this. And in the back of all of their minds, here's what they would have known as experienced men of the sea. There are some storms that are just too strong for even the very best boats and even the strongest sailors. And they know that, but they're still working overtime, trying to save the boat, trying to save the lives of everybody on that boat. And while they work, what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's the one person in the entire boat who can do absolutely everything about their problem. And as they work hard, as they bail water, as they row, he is asleep. Have you ever been working hard on something while somebody else was supposed to be helping you? And while they're supposed to be helping you, they're on their phone or they're watching TV or dare I say it, they're even taking a nap. You ever had that? I have. You know that feeling when you're outside working hard, raking leaves, and you're supposed to have a helper, and you look, and they're over there on Facebook the whole time? You know that feeling? You know what you do? You angrily do what you're doing, looking at them, staring that hole through them, like, do you not see what I'm doing that you're supposed to be helping with? You guys know that feeling? I won't name any names, but some of you have been that in my life. No, I'm kidding. You know that feeling? That I will let you know you're supposed to be helping me. And the longer it goes and the less you help, the more angry I become. And I start to feel a certain thing about you. And that's what they're doing here. The disciples begin to think a certain thing about Jesus. And they finally go over and wake him up. And when they wake him up, what they feel about Jesus is revealed in what they say to Jesus, right? And do you notice what they don't say? They don't say, excuse me, Jesus. Um, I know you're tired, but do you care to save us from this storm? Be really helpful. It'd be awesome. On your time, on your time. I'll let you sleep. They didn't do that, did they? They didn't say, hey, excuse me, Jesus. I know you know what you're doing. We follow you. You don't follow us. 
We also know you've got the ability to do something and we're about to die. It'd be really, really awesome if you'd save us. Could you do that, Jesus? They don't do that, do they? What do they do? They do this. They, they go, teacher, right? The, the wake up call, teacher, don't you even care that we're dying? See what that reveals about their heart? Unbelief is causing them to doubt something, and they're doubting that Jesus even cares. And I know that there are some of you in this room who feel that way. I know it. And I know that you are laboring so hard. You are working overtime trying to save your marriage and you're working overtime trying to rescue your prodigal and you're working overtime trying to keep your job while you keep your kids and while you keep your marriage and while you find some time to stay in the word and you are being torn apart and you're working overtime and there's something in your heart and you don't have sometimes the freedom to say it out loud, but you are peeking over at Jesus and see it feels like he is just over here asleep. Where are you, Jesus? I am about to sink. I'm about to sink. And you're the one person who could do something about this. Jesus, you're the one person I know who could make all of this go away. I, I, have, I have spent myself out trying. And I am sinking. And where are you, Jesus? That's where they are. I love how the word of God is so honest. And they begin to doubt like you have begun to doubt because you ask this question when you lay at bed at night and you're lonely and you're hurting and you're afraid and you dread tomorrow and you don't know how it's going to happen. You lay there and you don't even want to say it to Jesus, but you can't deny that it's in your heart. You say, Jesus, don't you care that I'm about to seek at the end of my rope. Because I know you are here. And you're not alone. And unbelief begins to creep in in those moments and it reveals that it is so hard for us when we don't understand what Jesus is doing to believe that what he is doing is loving us. Like when we don't see it happening, when the story's not written the way that we would write it, when the thing isn't occurring that we would want to happen, it's so hard for us to believe that Jesus in that moment is actually loving us. But I I want to tell you something, guys. I want to show you something. At the end of chapter 3, Jesus is ministering, and this is right here before this, this event happens. Jesus is ministering, and his mother and his brothers show up. But there's such a big crowd, they can't get to Jesus. So word starts to get to Jesus through the crowd. And they say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. Hey, your loved ones are here. Hey, Jesus, your family is here. And Jesus does one of the most bizarre things you could ever imagine, which you expect. And I'll tell you this. If you all come around to me at the end of this service, and one of you says, hey, your mom is here. I mean, like, hey, would you guys just part the waves a little bit? I want to see my mom. I love my mom. She's awesome. And hopefully she brought some sweet tea. I could really use it today. (laughs) That's not what Jesus does. Look what Jesus does in that moment. Verse 33 of chapter 3. Just before this happens, he said, look at this. It's the most bizarre text. Who are my mother and brothers? It's not that Jesus doesn't remember Mary and his brothers. He's proving a point. And looking about at those who sat around him, these disciples, these guys who are in this boat, sitting right there around Jesus, that inner circle, he says, he says look, at, look, at these, look at these knuckleheads. Here are my mother and brothers. 
For whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother, my sister. These disciples, these guys are right here by Jesus. They're in the will of God because they're following Jesus. Okay, they're, they're trusting Jesus enough to at least leave their life and follow after him and keep on following town after town, village after village, hard time after hard time, threats of the Pharisees after threats of the Pharisees. They're still in the game. They're still following. They're, they're in the will of God. They're following Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who my family is. I'll tell you who my loved ones are. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who has a place in my heart like a mom. Like a brother. These guys right here. You want to know how I feel about them? Don't act like they're not my family. Do you see what he's saying there? Can you imagine how their heart had to leap to think that Jesus just elevated them from a group of ragtag, knucklehead fishermen who could never get anything right? You know, people like us who are now like his family. He's saying, I love these men. Because I love you in their hearts. They're, they're isolated into this place of of inclusion into the family of Jesus. But by the end of chapter four, Jesus has made that abundantly clear, publicly made that clear. By the end of chapter four, they're waking him up. They're pulling their hair out and concluding, Jesus, you don't even care about us. Do you see that? The storm came to expose unbelief in their heart. And the unbelief is that they begin to doubt that Jesus would love them no matter what. And I say no matter what, I mean no matter what. That at any given moment, no matter what Jesus is doing, Jesus is loving us. When he calms storms, you know what he's doing? He's loving us. When he leads us into the storms, you know what he's doing? He's loving us. When he allows the storms to keep on raging, do you know what he's doing? He's loving us. Whatever may come, whatever's occurring around our lives, it cannot come to us unless it comes through the loving hands of Jesus. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. I'd say that pretty much covers it, wouldn't you? None of that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, not one single solitary thing can possibly separate us from God's love for us in Jesus. You know what that means? Here's what it means. It means if something comes into our lives, it's part of God's loving plan for us. So let me ask you this. What would it change about your life today if you interpreted your storm in light of Christ's love instead of interpreting Christ's love in light of your storm. What I mean by that is that when storms come, you're either going to conclude that this hard time, this storm that's about to sink me, clearly indicates that Jesus doesn't love me, or you're going to conclude that Jesus loves me no matter what, so this storm must somehow be Good for me. If I'm going to doubt anything, it's not going to be the love of Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that Jesus loves you and that his love for you, his good design for you, has included the storm you're walking through right now? Guys, unbelief causes us to doubt that Jesus loves us no matter what. It causes us to doubt that Jesus will keep his promises no matter what. So you know what Jesus does? He leads us into storms to expose that unbelief, but he doesn't keep us there. He exposes our unbelief so that he can strengthen our faith, and that's exactly what he's doing in this storm. He's exposing their unbelief, but then he calms the storm. He shows his power. He reaffirms his love. He shows them that they have a front row seat in the middle of the storm to watch him work and he's never left their side and he never will. And what you find is their unbelief turns into unshakable faith. And guys, that's the big idea for this text and that's how we'll close. Jesus uses the storms to strengthen our faith in his promises and to strengthen our faith in his love. So what is the storm you're walking through today? And what does it reveal about what you believe about Jesus? 
And I don't mean for you to roll up your sleeves and try really hard to make yourself believe. I mean, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus and ask him to strengthen your heart, to build your faith, to trust that this wasn't the only storm that Jesus calmed, that it, in his love, it, it took him to the cross to face the storm of God's wrath over our sin. And Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sin, calmed the anger of God over our sin so that if we would trust in him, we would be right with God. He kept his promise to restore us to the Father, and he will keep his promise to come again and receive us to himself. Are you believing Jesus today inside of the storm? Are you trusting in Christ? He will keep his promise. He will always love you no matter what. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's make our prayer. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, and you need to know there is a storm that is on your horizon. It is the storm that is the punishment for all our sin. And Jesus went to the cross to endure the wrath, to take the punishment of God in our place so that he could be condemned on that cross so that we would never be condemned by our God. And the promise is that if anyone will trust in him, they will call on faith in the name of Jesus. Anyone that trusts in him will be saved. So this morning, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, would you call on Jesus to save you and make you right with God? Claim the promise of his work at the cross and his power at the resurrection that he will work in you to raise you up to a brand new life. Call on Jesus to save you. And for those of you who are trusting in Jesus today, and you're in the middle of a storm, what are those places in your heart where the storm reveals your unbelief? Would you bring that to Jesus? Ask him to strengthen you. For those of you who feel alone in the middle of the storm, for those of you who have worked yourself ragged and the storm still rages, would you come to Jesus with an honest and open heart and ask him to help your unbelief to give you strength in the midst of your storm. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you for the work of Jesus in this beautiful, powerful picture we have of Christ. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are walking through seasons of hardship and they're facing the fact that Jesus has the power to make all that go away, but here it is, still in their life. God, would you help them? Help us. Help us to believe every promise of Christ stands sure no matter what. And help us to believe that we are held in the arms of everlasting love. And that nothing comes our way. Nothing comes to us apart from Christ's loving plan. Help us rest safe in the arms of Jesus. And we thank you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name.